0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. In 2008, the largest coal fly ash spill in U.S. history occurred at the Tennessee Valley Authority's Kingston Fossil Plant in Rowan County, Tennessee. Now seven years after the spill, the January 2015 issue of IEAM features a special series of articles detailing the baseline ecological risk assessment conducted on the Watts Bar Reservoir. With us today is the guest editor of the series, Susie Walls, to talk more about the project. Susie is an ecologist with the Arcadis Risk Assessment and Ecological Services Group in Knoxville, Tennessee. Susie, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me.
0: We're so glad you could be with us. So what exactly is coal fly ash and why is it toxic?
1: Well, coal fly ash is the residual byproduct from the combustion of coal at power plants. The coal organic matter is converted to carbon dioxide during combustion and the mass that remains is a mix of ash and concentrated minerals or metals. Those trace amounts of naturally occurring metals have the potential for toxicity but only with a long enough duration of exposure to a great enough amount of the coal combustion residuals. So coal ash isn't inherently toxic. It is potentially toxic depending on the exposure conditions. At coal ash facilities, the ash is typically contained in an impoundment or a landfill uh, with little to no exposure to humans or ecological receptors. Leaching of metals from those containment areas or a large release, like the one at Kingston, can occur, which then creates an exposure scenario. In those situations, a rapid response is necessary to remove or to at least reduce an exposure and hopefully mitigate those risks. That was the approach that we took at the Kingston Asheville and that's what we've discussed in the series of articles.
0: Well, some of our listeners might not be familiar with baseline ecological risk assessments. Can you give us an overview of what that actually is? Sure.
1: Baseline ecological risk assessments are used to answer the question of whether a stressor, and that can be a chemical stressor or a physical stressor, is going to adversely affect your ecological receptors, things like invertebrates or fish. Now, EPA has defined an iterative eight-step process to help guide risk assessors through that evaluation. That process begins with a conservative screening, usually using data collected from the site, things like soil or surface water, or sediment and comparing those data to standard ecological values. From that conservative starting point, you can then begin to narrow down and really focus the assessment on the constituents that are potentially causing adverse effects to ecological receptors. After those constituents of potential concern, or COPEX, as we like to call them, um, in the first tier are evaluated, more site-specific information is considered to refine the assessment. Those could be results of toxicity tests or community biosurveys or data from tissue samples. Risk assessments might use one or two of those studies, or in the case of the King's Nashville, it might include a whole host of those studies. The site-specific studies are used to more realistically assess risk to receptors and to reduce some of the uncertainties that exist in those initial screening processes. The more information you know about the site and about ecological receptors that you're trying to evaluate, the stronger your assessment will be and any decisions that might come out of that assessment. Ultimately, the results of a baseline ecological risk assessment should help to inform the decision makers if there is risk to ecological receptors and if so, where and how much risk is there and how can that risk best be managed.
0: Thanks, Suzy. That sounded like a very succinct way to describe an immense amount of work. <laughs> it sounds like there was a lot of work involved and a lot of teams behind that effort. Definitely. Can you give us an overall scope of the project? Sure.
1: Immediately after the, re- the response, TVA mobilized and removed as much of the ash from the river system as they could, judging almost 90% of the total released ash from the system. The main goal of our ecological risk assessment was to evaluate the potential risk to ecological receptors from the residual ash in the reservoir, so after the time critical dredging had already occurred. The most important goal of that assessment was to use the results to help inform the decision about what to do with that residual ash, so how best to manage any risks that were identified. TVA wanted to know if they would need to consider additional dredging or if they would need to put a cap over the remaining ash in the river or if monitoring the ash over time and allowing natural attenuation processes to take over would be good enough.
0: So that sounds pretty straightforward, but were were there any unusual challenges for this particular risk assessment?
1: There were a number of challenges with this project. The release was highly publicized. This was the largest release of ash ever recorded, which gave it a pretty high profile. The release also occurred in an incredibly complex river system. It affected three different rivers, the Emory, the Clinch, and the Tennessee, each with different water and sediment characteristics, and two of those rivers are part of a controlled reservoir system. The risk assessment also evaluated 17 different receptors, and the amount of data collected by a number of different agencies was just overwhelming. Uh, Not to mention, the compressed time frame in which the assessment was needed The baseline ecological risk assessment was not conducted on a legacy site with stable conditions, as is often the case. TVA wanted to ensure public health and safety and to restore the environment and the river system as quickly as possible. That meant that the planning and the sampling for the assessment, and then, of course, the assessment itself, were fast-tracked so that the results could be used to help in the final management decision for the river cleanup.
0: And when you say fast track, can you give us an idea of what sort of timeline is fast track versus what is a more normal timeline for conducting these types of assessments?
1: Typical legacy sites could be 20 or 30 years after a spill or a release has occurred. And so you have years of data to build your assessment on and maybe your risk assessment itself takes a year or two to conduct. In this case, the spill occurred in December of 2008. We were out sampling immediately in January of 2009, and the risk assessment was finalized to EPA by May of 2012. So if you do the math, in a matter of two or three years, we had dredged the river system, collected all the samples that we were going to use in our assessment, and conducted the assessment, and had it approved by EPA.
0: That's a huge difference in the amount of time to conduct this type of work.
1: It was definitely a team effort, and TVA worked hand-in-hand with regulators, both EPA and our state regulators. The public had input into this process, and TVA also used a number of different consulting agencies to help integrate the assessment, which really made it a success.
0: Thank you, Susie, for joining us today to talk about all this work.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to Susie Walls discuss the special series Ecological Risk Assessment for Residual Coal Fly Ash at Watts Bar Reservoir, Tennessee. Access the series in the January 2015 issue of IEAM. Just go to seattackjournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.